You're tuned in to Chromebooks Today, the podcast where Chromebook news and views collide. If you need the show notes or just want to say hi, visit us at Chromebooks.today. Hello and welcome to Chromebooks Today. My name is Craig Tumbleson and joining me today is James Welbis and John Oliphant. James, how are you doing today? Pretty good, Craig. How are you? I'm doing good, James. John, how are you doing? Excellent, sir. Glad to be here. Good, good. This episode of Chromebooks today is called Release and Revise, and it's titled that way because we have a few things to talk about, mostly releases and some revisions. Um, To start us off, the first thing we're going to jump right into is a brand new community, a brand new unofficial community called Chrome OS Testing. Now, some of our listeners tend to be a little Chrome OS savvy. They like the platform. They want to make it better for everyone else. Um, Some of our listeners will also know that there's a few different release channels. Um, By default, everyone that owns a Chromebook is running the stable channel. This is official software provided by Google, and it's designed to be, well, stable. But there's also pre-release channels. There's a beta channel, a developer channel, and even a canary channel. All of these channels contain software that isn't quite ready yet for the general public, but it's on its way. Um, The Chrome OS testing community is a project by the top contributors over on the official support forum to help prevent bugs that show up in those other pre-release channels from making it to the stable channel and affecting the general population. Um, This is something I'm actively, actively involved in. I'm really, really excited for it because as of right now, Uh, When an issue comes up in a beta or dev channel, there isn't really a good place to put it. And I think James has had some firsthand experience with this. Now, James, you run the beta channel day-to-day, is that right? Uh, Yeah, my Chromebox and my Chromebook. Okay, so you're double-dipping there, both devices. I I am. Okay, so what happens when you run into a major issue with the beta channel? Well, um, You know, after after the basic troubleshooting and whatnot to, to make sure that there's not a, you know, simple fix, a bad extension or something, um, most people take to Google. And if you're lucky, um, a Google search will take you to the official uh, Google Chromebook forum um, where you may get lucky. Um, some of the people there, the top contributors, kind of have a... Um, they can escalate things to Googlers and sometimes things get fixed that way, but honestly... It's probably not the best method of uh, of reporting things because there's so many things in that forum that sometimes things slip through the cracks. Uh, you can also try to find find a bug um, that that maybe is being tracked already, and and that even just saying that sounds too technical for most people. It's too I've never done it, and I hear other people doing it all the time. Um, so that can be a way of of reporting an issue, but uh, like you said, they're really isn't a whole lot of good uh, good ways to do it. Um, <clears throat> I had a, it wasn't just me, a lot of people were having an issue with zip files in the beta channel where you couldn't open them. Um, is is quite annoying um, <laughs> to not be able to open a zip file. And honestly, I didn't know, I I didn't even know that uh, what to do with that. I, I went to the product forum and said, hey, I'm having this issue. A few other people said we are too. And uh, but I didn't know what to do to actually spark a solution. That That is a perfect example of the problem we're currently facing. Um, like you mentioned, the official product forum is mostly focused on helping people that are running the stable channel. 
So issues that are showing up in pre-release channels may not get the same level of attention um, as issues that show up in the stable channel. So this community is created in direct response to issues like the one James faced. People that run the beta, dev, or even canary channels that spot issues and they don't know what the next step is. This community is set up by top contributors. James can stop by, make a post, say, hey, I think I found an issue. Is anyone else experiencing this? Top contributors will guide that discussion, verify issues, and once an issue has been verified, make sure the right people hear about it so that it can get fixed. Um, and speaking of updates in general, launching today, and we're recording on Tuesday night, but so it'll be live Wednesday morning, John, what new major milestone version is rolling out right now? 41, Craig. 41 is the new one. 41 is the new one. And what channel is this rolling out to, John? Uh, stable. Perfect. It's no longer on beta, but it's been on beta for about six weeks. So <laughs> bugs that were spotted, maybe they've been fixed, maybe they haven't. John, what do we know about this update so far? So this update does come with a, a number of improvements, uh, like Wi-Fi stability, um, you know, and other stable, stable things like security patches, things like that. The most important piece, and the one that I'm excited about, Craig, is the uh, is the remote desktop capability. Now this is a remote assistance, not remote, not like where you can just kind of remote into your own Chrome, uh, Chromebook or Chromebox. It is an assistance, so. You know, you do have to have a pin. Someone has to be available at the machine that you wish to remote into. Um, but I think that this is a huge one. Uh, you know, my nephews just received Chromebooks uh, from their school. I don't know if I'd be able to merge in or not. Um, but I also have a friend of mine. His, uh, he's got his, his uh, daughter a Chromebook. And I knew that if there's never a chance that I could remote in and, and, and assist them with that. I think that this is a big one. I think that, that 41 um, really puts us in the uh, in the vein of other, other machines out there that, this this capability, I think, is important. Um, I mean, they've had it for for Androids and things like that for a while, so I'm excited about this that, about 41. I completely agree, John, and I also agree with the point that you pointed out, which was that this it, uh, using this feature, Chromebooks are not added to your My Computer section of the Chrome Remote Desktop app, so you do need someone sitting in front of it to type in that PIN number. Um, so it, it's kind of a half-baked feature compared to what we have available for us on Windows at the moment, but it's a sign of things to come, in my opinion. I'm really excited about that, too. And then the other major fix that Milestone 41 is going to bring us are some Wi-Fi fixes. Uh, Google heard that quite a few people had Wi-Fi issues on Milestone 40, and they are proud to say that most, if not all of those, should be resolved with this new update. Um, now, when Google's not currently rolling out brand-new versions for the stable channels, Sometimes they're testing stuff behind the scenes. James, are they testing anything new? <clears throat> are they testing anything new? My guess, Craig, is that of course they are. Uh, right now, what they're testing is something called Answers, um, Answers in Omnibox, which is uh, which is kind of cool. Whenever you do a Google search, you search for something, it will pop up possible things that you might be trying to search for, but what they're, what they're testing is when you search for something in the Omnibox, you might actually get the answer to your question right there in the Omnibox. And the Omnibox is the, uh, the URL bar, address bar. Right. Um, so what's an example of a question that might be answered for us, James, if we were to just to type it in? 
one thing I've been doing, I've been using that Tinkercad program to, it's a CAD program that works on my Chromebook, and the thing works in, in with millimeters, and so if I'm trying to do something that's in inches, I go to the old Google and I say, how many millimeters is 4.3 inches? That's something that easily could show up in my Omnibar for me if I started to search for that. Okay, so, so it's similar to kind of the Google Now voice answers that it can read back to you? Simple math, maybe some general information. Does it bring up the answer 42 when you ask it, what's the answer to the universe? <laughs> if it doesn't, I might have to switch to the Apple ecosystem because that would be a huge fail in Google's part. I think that would be justified, James. I, I would not fight you on that. <laughs> John, when Google's not testing weird, quirky things, um, it's always fun to go through some general tips on how to use Chrome better. Uh, do you have any tips for us on how to use on how to use Chrome better? Yeah. In 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 what way? How how can we use Chrome better? Well, <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe getting around Chrome a little faster. I mean, for example, let's say you've got a few thousand bookmarks and you want to just get through them and drill down really quickly. Craig, I can I can, I can I, sorry about that. I, I was your second way. I, I apologize. I, I uh so. <laughs> So, 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 we're still learning, guys. For any listeners out there, we're still learning. This is the first episode. There's going to be some chuckles. There's going to be some mishaps. We we'll, we'll figure it out eventually. We promise. That's what, that's what happens when you put a put a suit on a warthog. It's just it just happens. Um. Anyway, so that so so Craig, you're absolutely right. There's there are some some uh, some really good tidbits out there. Uh, what I want to talk about was uh, um, Dinsan over at ChromeStory.com. He ended up having an article. It was a tip article about being able to search your bookmarks easily from the Omnibar, which is what James recently just, just spoke about just a second ago, where if you do have tons of bookmarks, which I, which I do. I'm a, I'm a crazy bookmarker. I just throw whatever I want in there at any time. I, I kind of pick a folder at random. Um, but if you wanted to search – uh, in the in the bookmarks, you can actually add it as a search engine, uh, so that way you can just simply type in a certain like you type in book and hit tab, and then all of a sudden now you're just searching directly in your your bookmarks. Um, so it's it's a very interesting feature to be able to add these type of uh, search engines. You can even do it in Google Docs, um, things like that. So it's actually a really great tip um, that that people I think if you do have a million bookmarks like I do, definitely check it out. Sounds great, John. Thanks for the tip. Well, thanks, Denson, I guess. Um, <laughs> speaking of Denson, he has kind of a wild rant slash theory up on Chrome Story right now. Um, for those of you that kind of follow the Google ecosystem, you may have heard that uh, a Google executive kind of announced recently that Google is interested in becoming a um, cell phone service. And they would do this through a, a virtual provider. They would piggyback off other networks, so they're not actively looking at building their own network. Um, but Denson raises a very interesting point. When we saw the original Pixel, it came bundled with an LTE modem. It was an option. Um, and with it, you could get 4G connection wherever you go, regardless of whether Wi-Fi was present or not. And with rumors of a new Pixel 2.0 coming up, um, Denson wonders maybe the Pixel 2.0 will use the new Google uh, cellular service for its LTE modem. Um, he says, is this even possible? He said he was discussing with a friend, and they just kind of brought it up as a point, and we're curious. 
Um, so this is not a rumor. <laughs> I, I want to be clear. This isn't even to the rumor stage. This is just an idea being thrown out. But I think it's interesting to think about. Um, we know that Google likes to kind of position the reference devices as premium, expensive, uh, kind of out of this world. And it would make sense to tie it into a Google cellular service. So I was just curious, James, do you think this is something that might be beneficial or do you think it would be smarter to go with an unlocked LTE modem that could switch between any carrier? Or do you think focusing on a Google carrier would be more ideal? Well, it depends on a few things. Uh, one, it depends on how good is this Google network? It, how good is the coverage of this Google network? Um, if I get a Chromebook that only works on one mobile network and that mobile network only works in eight cities in the country, my guess is that Cedar Rapids, Iowa probably isn't going to be in the top eight list. We're usually down a little bit further on that list, being a town no one's ever heard of in a state no one's ever been to. So if they're not, I would say if Google's mobile network is not already as abundant as Verizon's 4G network, then I don't want it. Anything less than that, I probably won't be super interested in. Um, so going open and making it like you said, uh, you know, where you could maybe possibly use multiple, your choice of carrier would be the best option. Um, I don't know how hard that would be to implement, so I, I won't try to guess on that. But obviously, I think that would be the best for everybody is if I could choose what network I want to use, then great. If Google happens to be one of those networks I can choose, awesome. If it's available to me, you know, I'm a fanboy. I definitely try it. Okay. Uh, I think on the technical level, it's probably possible. Uh, LTE is a little more open than CDMA was, and we know from the Samsung Series 550 that included a cellular modem, it came with Verizon uh, kind of pre-configured, but you could switch it to unlocked and use T-Mobile or AT&T GSM as well. Uh, John, do you have any strong opinions on this? Well, I, I would just like to know what what initially their their piggyback is going to be. Are they going to piggyback off of someone else's service? I forget what they that they call this. Or, you know, like um, like Cricket and Ting um, and those other ones. They pay, actually piggyback off of a major carrier, um, and then that that other company just pays a subsidy to them. You know, because they're basically using their infrastructure. I think that's what Google was thinking about doing was that's from what I understood, but I, I could be completely wrong, but because um, <clears throat> I mean, you look at Virgin, Virgin's also one of those piggyback carriers. So, so to James's point, right, right off the bat, um, you know, Google does piggyback off of Verizon. So you'd have that really great service, um, you know, right off the jump and then, and you'd have a Google product. Now, should it be an open type thing? I mean, everybody wants it. But you never know with something like this. I mean, they, they could just lock it down to be one, you know, one carrier um, and the, that piggyback service and just call it Google. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it is an exciting thought. I'll, I'll, put, I'll put it that way. I think it's a – and it's a, it's a uh, I think Dinsan has something going there. I think it, it could be a possibility. Interesting. And I'm a little curious to see, uh, we know the Pixel isn't designed to be sold as a mass production unit, so I wonder if that might factor into it too, um, whereas you could essentially use it if it's going to be a developer device anyway, maybe gear it toward testing their new network, see where coverage is spotty, stuff like that. 
it's an interesting thought. So kudos to Denson for coming up with it and sharing it with us. Um, John, do you want to hit the next item? I will leave the full lead-in to you, however you want to spin it. <laughs> <laughs> however I want to spin the, the fact that MediaTek um, has a, a, new, a, new, a new chip. Is that, is that, what, is that what you want me to, <laughs> to, to spin? Um, full, you have full editorial control, John. I, I, oh, wow. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> well, well, basically, MediaTek uh, does have a brand-new high-performance chip available, uh, and it already supports uh, Chrome OS. So it's, 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 it's a new chip. Define <laughs> high-performance for me. Um... Uh, it's just it's fast. Um, it, it was the it is an ARM chip, so I mean that's gonna be that's gonna be one of those pieces where everyone goes, um, do I really want to do that? I mean, I recently recommended someone not buy an ARM chip, so um, I, I don't know. Uh, this does have eight cores in it, so I mean that these are things like you know that when you start adding cores, that's where we're at, right? It's not necessarily gonna be. Um, you know, with the with the speed of, of the of the chip anymore, it's going to be how many cores you have, hyper threading, things like that. So they say that they've got you know 4K video streaming out, 30 frames per second, things like that. It's it's just something that we have to we're going to have to see what it, what it does right now. That the news of this came out last year, things like that. So it, it's it's slowly coming, right? So it's just another ARM chip available, and that's 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 what's coming on now. I. Joey over OMG Chrome, um, I don't think he has any – when I read the article, he doesn't have any – no one knows when or where or how, but it is, it is an ARM chip that's coming down, the, coming down the line. Sounds good. And just to add to your point, or just to confirm, there are no plans that we know of to put this chip into a Chromebook, right? This was just more of a proof of concept. Uh, from what I can tell, yeah, I think it's just a. <clears throat> I mean, it's it's development in ARM chips, which which we want to see, right? We want Intel and AMD to have a competitor, uh, and we want something low, you know, low cost. We want something low powered. I mean, we want we want it all. And the ARM actually does come with all those pieces. That's missing the one piece, which is performance. So to see a company like MediaTek constantly innovating along with Samsung and others and NVIDIA, um, constantly, you know, iterating newer and better and faster and keeping the cost down, you know, there, there's nothing better than that. So the fact that this company is, you know, going whole hog and making these chips, I think it's fantastic because it's and as long as they're, they're going to be able to sell them and, and keep going. And I mean, I think ARM has, ARM has a place. Um, I just don't know if we actually have seen it yet. I, I I know that we've solved a lot of the problems around ARM, but I just don't know if we've seen full adoption. AMD's actually walked away from the Chromebook plate uh, totally. I don't know why, but um, so it, hate it's, money. Now, it's <laughs> that's right. It's now an ARM in, in an Intel and Intel race, and with these companies, you know, ARM's going to keep on updating the infrastructure, right? And then. MediaTek, NVIDIA, and, and Samsung and others are going to keep on attaching um, better and better boards together, you know, and, and creating a better system. So 
system on a chip. So it's it's really good news. It, it, but but ARM is still a question mark. There's just a big question mark. That's just always there. Always there. Always there will be for a while. I, you know, in the mobile market now, but for a desktop or a laptop machine, eh. Yeah, and the other big one is embedded, and we haven't seen a lot of dedicated Chrome kiosks yet. But I still think that's a market that we may see ARM take charge of moving forward. Patreon's going to give them a run. I love the kiosks. I do. I think it's the remote management. It's to just drop them off and set up the whole convention with them. I love that concept, and I don't think that's something that is focused on a lot, but I think it has massive practical applications there. Um, But I guess we'll kind of just see, like you said, it's going to be an arms race. And maybe arms has the most arms. Arms, maybe arms will. <laughs> Classic. Classic. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of classic, <laughs> let's move on to a life lesson. And the two of you should should appreciate this. Uh, sometimes bugs fix themselves. <laughs> yes. Uh, given enough time, sometimes bugs will fix themselves. And this is not a uh, this is not artificial intelligence. This is just User feedback. Um, as we all know, when the new Google Drive uh, user interface launched to the material design-ish look it is now, uh, they changed the uh, phrasing from shared with me to incoming. And the files app did not change. It was still shared with me. Now, a bug ticket was filed back in October 2014 that said that they should update the phrasing the files app to incoming to match the Google Drive interface. And they didn't. It kind of flew a little bit under the radar. But yesterday, uh, the the Google Drive team announced that they would be changing it back. So it's no longer going to be incoming, and now it's going to be shared with me. So this bug ticket was just closed out with the uh, an exact quote is, looks like this can be closed as the web UI just made the backward roll to the old shared with me, so we're consistent again this way. And the follow-up comment of go team. <laughs> a little humor, but sometimes bugs fix themselves, given enough time. So I just wanted to point that out because it's the little that's the little interesting things that kind of give life to the open source project that we've come to know and love. Um, speaking of the open source project that we've come to know and love, John, you have some interesting thoughts for our main topic section that revolve around just how much Google allows their open source projects and their advertising business to kind of intertwine or be separated. And I want you to kind of bring us into this and explain to our listeners what's going on, what your concerns are, and what questions you want to raise. Well, <clears throat> thank you, Frank. Uh, what I want to talk about is, is if, you're, if you're a reader of blogs and, and other, other media on the web, um, you might know of, uh, of the ability to to remove all of the stuff on the outside and just give me the article and the images and I'm going to read that and that's all I have, right? So there's, there's a number of extensions out there that are available, um, like Read Later, or you can send it to something like Pocket uh, or, or other ones. <clears throat> and that, that gives you the ability to take a, a you know, something like a, what you see in a newspaper and then you get rid of all those other articles, all the other fluff advertising and you just have that article and that's all you have. That's all you're reading. Uh, you can increase the, the size of the font, things like that. Chrome does not have a dedicated um, extension, right, or a native extension uh, inside of it that allows people to go to what 
what I like, I call it reader mode, right? Um, and uh, most other browsers do. Safari has it, Firefox has it, uh, and I, I actually shamelessly plug Firefox for that for that fact because on mobile, if there's something, if there's a large article that I want to read, I actually can take it to Firefox and then put it in reader mode and read it because uh, you have the ability again to change font size because like you know I'm old and you know at night you can do sepia or you can do you know the the dark background with, with white letters, things like that, right? So what's really cool, though, is, of course, is Chrome is, is, is 99% open source and, uh, and, and, a, and a community project. So there's been some development on a – they call it the DOM distiller, um, and that's the – I think it's a document object model uh, distiller, which means that it goes in and it just – it looks for the article – and it produces it for you. So it's distilling the DOM. Uh, again, I just got reader mode. Uh, and this was actually released by Francois before, to letting us know kind of what was, was going on with that, that it was there, that it was available. Now, it's not available on Chromebooks. So I know that this is Chromebooks.today, but uh, for everybody else with Chrome, you can actually flip a flag, and you can even flip a flag in, uh, in, um, in mobile and give yourself this ability to use this. And I'm going to quote Francois here just, just to kind of, to, to lay this down, because Francois, and I, I don't mean to do this to Google or Francois, but I kind of want to uh, point at something really quickly, and this is my whole reason for this, because <clears throat> I love reader mode. I love reader mode, um, love the extensions that are available out there, and, I, and I, again, I have to use reader mode uh, on mobile. I have to use it on Firefox. So to quote Francois, the DOM distiller is an exciting open source project created by the Chromium team whose goal is to provide a better reading experience by distilling the content of the page. And then he goes on to say, yes, we're talking about reader mode here, a mobile-friendly viewing mode for Chrome mobile, but not only. <clears throat> so the problem with this is, is that Google makes a great deal of money on its ads, right? So when you look at someone's blog, um, you take you take some of the ones we've mentioned today, OMG Chrome and Chrome Story. Uh, you go to you know other blogger sites uh, out there, or you go to WordPress sites. You go to anybody's. Uh, I go to like Krebs Security. You know, you you name them. They pay for what they do by selling advertisements, and Google's a huge seller of the ads on those pages. So my questions are to to the group, and the Craig, is. Does Google even want this? Like their browser, again, is, is a community built, mostly 98% of it's you know, community built, ready to go, um, free open. But it is a Google product, and Google makes money off of, off of advertising. So with this distiller mode, or you know, this, this DOM distiller, the blog article ads are completely removed. When, you, when you're like, oh, I want to read that, boop, you hit a little button, all the ads are gone. Um, so, you know, where does Google stand on their own browser having a native feature that removes their ads? So, I, you know, I'll, I'll guess, you know, I'll, Craig, I'll throw it back to you and, and just ask you that, that question. I mean, I know that, well, I'll just let you, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's an interesting point, and I'm glad that you brought it up as one of our main topics. Um, there is kind of a careful balance there. Google is, first and foremost, a ad company. And all of its other products have to complement that in one way or another, whether it's 
collecting data to serve more targeted ads or just serving more ads in general, but they have to complement each other. And this is one of those cases where they certainly don't. Um, I, what I'm curious about is how many people are actually going to use this um, and are, are people going to use it for their entire browsing, browsing experience or only when they see an article that is long form that they want to sit down and spend time consuming? Um, and, and those questions are relevant in my opinion because um, first of all, the number of people that use it is going to have a direct effect on the number of ads that it ends up stopping. Uh, but second of all, the number of times it's actually used is also very important. If if Google finds that people are mostly using it to uh, distill content when it's a long article that you're going to invest two, three, four, five minutes in, a lot of those long-form articles don't have ads anyway because they unfairly break up the content. And if you go to some sites that specialize in longer articles, you'll see that. The ads are on the top or at the very bottom, but they try not to place them during the article so that you're not interrupted or taken away from their story they're trying to tell. Um, I, I also think that we've seen this work successfully on other platforms, like John said, Safari, Firefox. There are dedicated apps like Instapaper, which I personally love. Um, and, and I'm not sure that really has broken the advertising model yet. Um, so I, I think the concerns are legitimate. I think it's a discussion worth having. But I, I, I'm happy to say, I'm happy that Google isn't just putting their foot down and saying, no, we're not even going to let it, you know, we're not even going to let it see the light of day. I, I'm thrilled that they're taking a little more thoughtful approach and saying, well, let's put it behind a flag, let's see how people are going to use it, and then we'll go from there. If our ads drop completely, then we'll need to figure something out. But for now, there's no harm in letting it happen. So I, I, I kudos to Google for kind of letting that path go the direction it's going to go. James, what are your thoughts on this? Well, my first thought was that, that yeah, this has already been done. Um, Firefox, and, and I know a friend of mine, uh, Chris, was talking about he switched from, from iPhone to Android. And one of the biggest thing issues he had with that was the fact that the iPhone had a reader mode, I forget what they call it, where you push a button and, and all the ads and everything goes away and you're just presented with the article. And he really missed that feature. Um, I wonder if... It, I don't think Google wants to be the only one who doesn't provide that. I don't think Google wants John Oliphant to use Firefox instead of Chrome because Firefox has a reader mode on it. Um, and I don't think he wants people to not switch from iPhones to Android phones because of the reader mode. So it, it at first it seems like Google would be against this because they make so much money in ads. But on the other hand, they also try to be the company, they try to at least appear to be the company that's open and inclusive. And I don't think they ever want to be that one company that's not giving everybody what they want. I... Definitely follow your logic there. They, they don't want to shoot themselves in the foot by not staying up to date with their competitors, but at the same time, they need to respect the core purpose of their business, which is still in advertising. So mm -hmm. like, like John said, I think it's a careful balance, and at the end of the day, they really need to complement each other. John, I'm going to pass it back to you for any final thoughts you might have. <clears throat> my only, my only like, I guess my final thought is... Um, 
Google Chrome is an interesting beast, right? Because I, I think that it's 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 the second, well, not even the second. It's probably the fifth of of many open source uh, browsers, you know, that are that are out there uh, trying to beat and get away from Internet Explorer, which which Internet Explorer. I run into issues with it like literally daily. So, so the fact that there are these these other options, I don't I don't think that I don't think that Google or the team necessarily would be sad that I would go to, to Mozilla. And I just wanted to, to bring this up. I, I do think that they they want you to have the best experience possible. And I think what the Chromium team and Google is trying to do is they're trying to bring that best possible experience to you in their browser, um, and not because because Chrome itself doesn't deliver all the Google goodness, right? I mean, it, I mean, it does, but you can change your search engine. So, I mean, and that's pretty much the whole point of it, right? But so I think that from an experience perspective, I think that Google should do this because I think that as always, they're always innovating in other areas and they're always trying to find other ways to make money. So as much as advertising is always might be king in their, in their revenue stream, I think that this will be a smaller part to say that people are constantly hitting the button. Um, so, and this also still needs a lot of work, to be honest. It's, it's, it, it works, but it has a long way to go. I mean, like a long way to go compared to the other ones. Uh, it's, it's kind of silly actually how, how, how far behind it is. Really, Cause there's probably only one developer who was like, you know what? I'm going to do this for the, for, the, for the Chromium project, and I'm going to do it all myself, and I'm going to I'm just going to keep keep poking at it because that's what it feels like, and I don't mean to belittle it, but you know it's just it it that is what it is. So, so that that would be my final thoughts, Craig. Okay, it's kind of a release and revise approach, would you say? Um, well, because it's behind flags, this gives someone like myself the ability to be like not only flags but switches. So to be able to do this on Chrome on a on a on a computer, a, a Mac, Linux, or a Windows machine, again, you can't do it on Chrome OS yet. You have to put a switch, which means that you have to actually start Chrome with a flag when you start it. So this is not something that people, many people are familiar with, but to start, like for instance, to start Excel in safe mode because Excel, you know, sometimes has a bad <laughs> something or other. You have to go to your command line prompt in Windows and type in start excel.exe space dash safe, right? Well, that's a switch. That's what's so when you want to fire this off and you want to use the distiller in the on a computer, you actually have to fire off Chrome. And, and most people's Chrome they have background processes, so you have to actually kill all the versions of Chrome that are running. Which is, so if you're running apps or anything like that, you have to kill all that. So it's not easy to get to. Um, there's a flag, I think, for mobile, but uh, and, and that's pretty straightforward. It's just a regular flag, uh, but it's again, it's hard to get to. Uh, you know, it's not as easy as, as with the, the desktops, uh, and 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 it doesn't work for all sites. So, and I mean, even sites that it definitely should work for, it does not work for. So, I mean, is it? A, I think like literally, they're like, this doesn't break anything else. It's a standalone piece. Yeah, just put it in stable. No problem. So I think that uh, I think this is just a it's just such a small little little piece that doesn't affect anything that I think they're more than willing to like put it in stable till the dawn of time. Interesting. 
And I also found it interesting that you mentioned earlier how many other open source projects there are, and a few of them are actually based on Chromium, right? <laughs> there, there are a few. <laughs> one of them being Opera, which is one of the more popular Chromium-based browsers at this point. There's a few others. I think uh, the Russian search engine has one now, Yandex. Is that mm. Yandex? Uh, yeah. They have a Chromium-based browser. So at this stage, I'm going to throw it to James. Is Chromium a Google project, or is it more of a community-driven project? Well, it – I mean, I think it's both. I think your question is which – to, in which direction does it lean? Um, you know, I'm not Chromium. I would. I'm thinking is probably mostly a community project, and uh, I think Google's got a really good thing going there where they can pretty much just whenever they want to pop in, grab Chromium, tweak a couple things to make it exactly the way they want, and they have Chrome. Um, that being said, I don't think that's how they approach it. I don't think they're that lazy about Chrome. But I, it does feel like it is mostly a community project that Google largely benefits from, and then we as, as users of Chrome obviously also benefit from. Okay, and I bring it up because John made the comment about how this feels almost as if a single developer took an interest and decided <laughs> to bring it to Chromium. Mm -hmm. So, John, what's your take on this? Do you think that Chromium is moving toward a more open-source general community approach, or do you think that because Google ultimately decides which commits are accepted and which aren't, that Google will always maintain an authoritative sense of control over the Chromium project? I think that Google, I, I, first of all, I, I do believe that Google, as much as it's a community project and they have a lot of, Google does pay a lot of the engineers. So, you know, there are full-time people that are paid. They're on that community, but I believe that they are actual Google employees, right? So... <laughs> So I, but but you're allowed to to put put code in. And I think I don't know who this developer is. I, I wish there was like an about page for it. But you know, I, I think that again, I think that Google wants Chromium because it is an experience. It's not necessarily a sales tool for for Google. I mean, of course it is in the in itself. But but it's also this really great open source project that that does give you like a great experience for the web. Like they, that, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to kick the web's butt with this browser that allows you to do web 2.0, 3.0, moving forward, you know, everything that you want that you can experience in the web, Google wants to do it first and they want their and they want their their team to have all of the uh, capability and and resources to get it done and I think that using the community approach I think is it's the best approach to use for something like this. I can't tell you how bad IE is. It really is terrible. And so, but to have Firefox and the Mozilla, you know, organization, and then you have the Chromium team, I think it's more of an experience thing. It's like, let's get the web what it's supposed to be. I mean, look in the U.S. We've had this huge debate about the, the net neutrality. I mean, the Internet is supposed to be this big community of people that can talk and, and move freely. So to have Google being a... Um, a main cheerleader and supporter financially for the Chromium team, I, I think it can only benefit everybody, the community, and then all everybody who wants to use the web and use Chrome. And one caveat to that is that Chromium OS has another, uh, we took, you talked about you know, other open source projects using it, Core OS is becoming you know, bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's based on Chromium. 
and I think that's also pretty pretty powerful to say that you know the, the, a lot of the servers out there are going towards that that model of of uh, of using CoreOS and and it's um what do you call it now uh, I can't think of the term <laughs> but I'll, I'll go to that just CoreOS is another just another great um, open source project that uses the Chromium base containers. Yes, thank you, Craig. Continue. Perfect. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Thank I, you. I thought so, but I'm not as familiar with CoreOS as you are. So, All right. Um, I think we're going to wrap up the show there. We just hit 40 minutes. Listeners that transitioned over from Practical Chrome will think that we pulled off some sort of miracle. Um, and, and we did. We are miracle workers, but, you know, we, we try to stay humble most, most of the time. Um, John, James, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Um, I've been Craig Tumbleson. And I think with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Until next week, Chrome you later. And, and everybody, check out Chromebooks.today for the show notes if you want to check out any of the links. Yes, yes. Today check out show. Chromebooks.today for the show notes. We are on YouTube. We've had a few requests to be submitted to a few new podcast apps. We are working on that. Uh, if your podcast app doesn't currently have the show, you can add RS, RSS feed manually, and you can also let us know which app you use, and we'll do our best to track down their directory and submit to it. Anything else? I'm good. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye. Later, promise.